Hi there, and welcome to the podcast. On this week's episode, we do a deep dive on one of the fastest growing spaces out there, content creation. This used to be called filmmaking, and it used to have a pretty high barrier of entry. But thanks to the democratization of the distribution process, with online streaming platforms like Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, and YouTube, more and more people are finally getting out there to live their dream. Gone are the days when you needed to sit around on a casting couch with your demo reel just hoping you didn't get interviewed by Harvey Weinstein. But while there may be less gatekeepers to get through, this only means that the art of storytelling has never been more important. Simply because you need to do a lot more if you want to break through the noise. And this is exactly what this week's guest promises to help you out with. Scott Rosenfeld is one of Hollywood's most successful independent producers. With a body of work that includes Home Alone, Teen Wolf, and other big Hollywood box office hits. He's in the Philippines right now to set up a school to help Filipino filmmakers and producers take their work to the next level. And he shares some of those tips and tricks with us over this hour-long conversation. So whether you're a feature filmmaker, a short filmmaker, a commercial director, producer, or even an online vlogger, Spend an hour with one of the most internationally acclaimed producers of our time and take your storytelling to the next level on this episode of One for the Road. Brought to you by our friends from Patron. Welcome to the podcast. We got Scott Rosenfeld in the studio today. What do you hear in Manila for? We are making uh, multiple movies, mm -hmm. starting a film school doing seminars for the film school as well that we've been doing in conjunction with TV5. And uh, we're in pre-production on a movie called Escape with the director, Pedring Lopez, who mm -hmm. uh, directed a movie called Maria recently that's been very popular on Netflix. And developing three or four other screenplays and projects and TV series with everybody here, with independent financiers, with TV networks, and uh, just creating a little niche of doing international films coming out of the Philippines. We, we sort of noticed, or I noticed over the last few years of coming here, that people see all of the major companies wanted to start doing more international product because they all realize just in Tagalog isn't going to travel, not going to mm -hmm. make any money overseas. But nobody here seemed to really have the ability to do it properly. And I kind of looked at it and I said, I think I know how to do this. I knew how to take Philippine stories, how to elevate screenplay writing and other things that need some work here and turn them into product that could be made internationally that can sell to the Netflixes of the world and make and make serious money, not just make a dollar fifty. There's always a misconception about producers. Mm -hmm. What exactly does a producer do? Some people say they just throw the money down. Right. Is the, it the the popular misconception is it's you know, somebody, male or female with a cigar. Who who has the money, or raises or only does the money and yells at everybody, right, or yeah. something? And and there's so many levels of producing. Myself, I I came out of film school. I write, I've directed, I've I you know. So I'm when I'm involved in a movie, I'm involved in raising the money, hiring the director, finding the material often before all of that either hiring a writer to write the script or finding a script that's already done, finding a book, hiring a writer, getting the rights, doing all of those things, oh. putting everything together, overseeing the budgeting, overseeing all the planning, keeping the director on track throughout the entire movie if it's, you know, once it's made, casting, being involved with the director on casting, rewrites, locations, creative stuff. Not just, uh, you know, you guys all work. I'll show up at noon and have lunch with everybody. I don't do that. That's there are those kinds of producers, mm -hmm. but that's not me. And I follow through on the movie through the end, through editing, music, all the way to the end of the movie. So I'm really, and you know, being in charge isn't the most important thing, but watching over the movie and making sure it gets made properly and developed properly is the job. And it's much, 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 much more than the money. Sometimes you're not the money person. Sometimes there's somebody who gets another credit who, who maybe you know and has helped you raise the money 
But, you know, some people are just hired as, they call them line producers, to just work on the movie. They don't ever raise money. So there's strata of producers, which also, you know, people don't exactly understand. In the old days, it doesn't happen anymore because the credits are all crossed and mixed. But an executive producer usually meant somebody who was involved in finding the money, wasn't involved day to day, and the producer was involved in day to day making the movie. And that's how it should be, but it's not always like that. And is that what you're going to be teaching uh, people in your courses, everything that you just mentioned that you did for Home Alone and other yes. movies? Yeah, I really want to teach the right style, the right way to, to produce a movie, to approach actors, to approach directors, to approach material, to handle the money and to structure a film and to create a higher quality film. It's, a, it's probably the most lacking here out of all of them is even when you talk about soap opera acting, which actors can unlearn. Writing, writers can get better. Directors are pretty good here. Producing, I noticed generally, and I have a couple of friends who are good, but mostly they're lazy and they, 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 they're not as rigorous as producers in the West in terms of budgeting, follow through, watching everything. I mean, we watch everything. We, we, you know, no, I never have a time where somebody says something happened and I go, what? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you that happened yesterday or ain't going to happen ever. You just go through a debrief every day or you see it yourself yeah. happen, unfold. Yeah. Have you been to many sets here? Um, soap operas, big sets, movie sets. Have you done that, that yeah. whole to get I've the been feel? To a, I've been to a few sets here. And, you know, most of the sets, putting aside the quality of the, produ of the movie, are, are pretty professional, even the low-budget ones. I'm mm -hmm. used, you know, I, indie films in the U.S. that are very low-budget have the same issues of, you know, box lunches instead of a hot lunch and all, the, you know, those things that people persevere with here. So some of that's the same. And I see, and I generally see people who actually care a lot about what they do. That's the thing I like the most. I don't see a lot of slacking off, and you'd think maybe, well, because they don't put, you know, some of the things I've said, they don't put as much attention to it, but I see people here really care, and I, that's what I like. That's why I know it can happen. I, it, can, it, can, it can go, you know, the next step. It, it just has to, you, it's pushing it through that next level, and then, because mm -hmm. we, had, we had a recent, uh, I wouldn't, call it a controversy but it was a big issue with uh, our late eddie garcia one yes, of our, I know. and that was that brought up to light again uh, yeah the workplace yes. um, health and safety and all that that's got to step up doesn't it or yeah i mean i always <laughs> promise everybody you know because i won't talk about <laughs> the screen actors guild mm -hmm. in the states and other countries but it isn't so much about organizing it has to do with you know, producers and, and studio people and treating artists like they should. It's really that simple. Regardless of whether or not there's a union, it doesn't matter. You should not put people in a position who are on screen, who are the face of your movie, into positions where they're tired, where they trip over cords and kill themselves, where they drive and have accidents, where they're sleeping in their cars at night because they have another shoot. That still happens at here? At 4 o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. Even big names here? Yeah, that's the problem. Even big names. People, you know, who are big names here go through this. They have, they have vans that they, they sleep in because they have to. I have a van <laughs> with a bed. Well, they have it all laid out. Because, <laughs> I do, I do. Because I have the they know <laughs> they're going to be kept till and I'm not big time. <laughs> 11 at night, but they have to be somewhere. And they get booked too much. They get booked on everything too close together. And nobody's ever available for anything, but nobody's ever doing anything that important. But they're always booked and booked and booked. And you can't do that, you know. Uh, but, I mean, I understand people want to get paid and, and work. But it, it proliferates, again, a mediocre product. It just does. There's no way other way around it. I guess I would imagine, even not being that involved in the industry, that it comes down to a competitive advantage price-wise. Because you're talking about producers needing now budgets for ambulances on standby or a medic on standby and all these things. And they're thinking, oh, well, you know what? You know, just you Well, know, but producers have to, you know. There. Look, I was in China and, and, and we made a, I was helping a friend make a movie. She brought me over to produce it, to help her, because the Chinese producer, she didn't trust him because he had brought the money in, but he was taking some of it. And, you know, and, and the first thing I found out is I said, well, okay, what's the shooting schedule? I'm looking at it and I'm looking and I'm going, 
I, I, something strange here. They're shooting. There's no off day. I said, are you shooting seven days a week? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're, you're, you're serious. You're shooting seven days a week. How is that even, when does anybody rest? And the producer, you know, looked at the interpreter like I was out of my mind. Like, why would anybody want to rest? And I know there's seven-day-a-week shoots here, too. Not all the time, but there are. Mm, I just, yes, there are. There are, I actually. I mean, <laughs> producers and, and financial people should not put any human being in that situation. The humanity aside or the, the, the treating people properly aside, is it a false economy to do that? Well, I think so. I think they've actually, the Chinese producer said, well, well I mean, I'm saving money on the hotel because in, in the way they do things there in Beijing, even when you're on the outskirts, they put everybody in a hotel because of traffic and other stuff. But they're, all, they're cheap hotels. They're like $35 a night. They put two people in a room. And, but the idea of a crew person <laughs> having Sunday off, even, even a six-day week, and having a day off and they're paying for the hotel for Sunday night and nobody's working made him insane when I mentioned that. That, of course, we do it. You know, sometimes we shoot. We just shot in Miami and uh, we shot five days a week, as you often do in the States. And, you know, and we, we were I was there and I had my weekend off. And I mean, of course, I'm the producer, so I'm still doing stuff on the movie. But, you know, people have to rest. So, yes, they think they're saving money. They absolutely think they're saving money by not giving people downtime that they're paying for. Because they, they, they would be paying for it. Even, if, even here, if people go home and, and aren't staying in a hotel, you know, and especially if they're staying in a hotel and you're going somewhere, I mean, they're paying, they're, they're paying for Saturday and Sunday off and seeing people walk around the lobby of the hotel going out to dinner. And, I mean, it probably drives them mad you know, yeah, where we're used to it. Of course, you have to do that for people. But you can teach this model. You could teach this model to people here saying, well, you know what? You can do this without a union, meaning you don't have to be forced by law to do this. Right. But I will show you that it'll be in your best interest financially even. You will get a better movie. You'll get more money for it. Is that a fair I, thing that you yes, can it is. Yes, it is. I, and I believe it emphatically. And, and we will do it with our productions. We will absolutely do five-day weeks and 12-hour and days and, you know, and if an actor has to be on set and, and says, you know what, I, I live too far away, we'll, they'll stay the night, we'll put them in a hotel for the night. We're not going to make them sleep in this van. So why the Philippines, Scott? Did you try out any other areas around the region? It's funny, in China, I noticed Home Alone may as well have made it last week. It, it's like <laughs> I try to tell people... You know, I, I, really, I do appreciate it. It's always nice when people say, I love your movie. But, you know, it was 1991. You know, I've done a couple of things since then. And they're like, no, 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 no. We love it. You know, and other people, friends of mine in China, when I was always trying to, like, backpedal or be honest, they go, you don't have to say that. Don't worry about it. Let them, you know, love your movie. You know, so every so it started with people wanting to do that and not realize they'd come to me and and go, well, you can do the remake of Home Alone. It's like, well, you know, you're 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 new to the world of copyright. You know, <laughs> not copyright infringement, but copyright protection. Because you know, I don't own it. You know, there's this guy John Hughes, and he died, and it's his estate. And there's this studio called 20th Century Fox, which I'm sure you've heard of. They own it, not me personally. If I owned it personally, I probably wouldn't be standing here. I'd probably, you know, be on a beach somewhere. So, so it's know. not as simple as seeing something you like out there and then saying, "I'll take that." Really? Well, you mean, wow, well, this is news. China, yes. <laughs> so. That developed into, you know, a sincere interest in helping, you know, make some things in China and do some co-productions. And then I just felt it start to close up as it has in the last year, even much more, you know, in terms of the money and the, the less not, not allowed to invest in outside production, Chinese, you know, financing, moving to Hong Kong and other places, the ones that want to do that. So I, I just I, I had come here also to scout for a movie for a different movie. And I was looking at Malaysia and here because we needed jungle. It's a movie that took place primarily in Indonesia, but it dealt with a, a political issue that was sensitive, which would not, 
even even today with a different government in Indonesia, just wouldn't really be comfortable shooting there, having to do with the Suharto days. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, his family's still around, and uh, some things that you know it wouldn't work. Uh, we'd have a bunch of film. It would be like a uh, Tropic Thunder event, you know, filmmakers being uh, brutally, you know, murdered and with their heads cut off and everything. So uh-huh. we felt like that happens. Still? Yeah, it does. You know, and, and it would have happened. So we we started looking around, you know, obviously, you know, we looked at Malaysia because it has a tax incentive, a big one. Uh, and I've, I have a friend there as a production company. They have right hand drive like in like yeah. in Jakarta, like in Indonesia. There are a lot of things. And it was great. I found the locations. And then I came here uh, on the same trip to look here. Had you had any experience with the Philippines no, before? That, that was the first time I came here. And I knew I, you know, I, I knew the history of people filming here back to and even before Apocalypse Now. But uh, Apocalypse Now is the signpost in the sand for, like, you know, shooting here. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of movies. that Platoon, it, Chuck Norris filmed a lot yeah, here. Yeah, all after. But, yes, all around, you know, it exploded here back then. And, and there was a lot of, anytime anybody in L.A. or anywhere wanted to shoot jungle, they came here to the Philippines. And it was also at the heyday, I guess, of the Vietnam movies and yeah. stuff like that. Yep. Hamburger Hill and all that kind of stuff was shot here. So I, I came here on that trip, and I was, besides, even though we had the people driving the way they do in the States and some things that were a little problematic, I, could, I knew that um, You're Living Dangerously years ago was shot here, which was, making Manila look like Jakarta. So I knew, it's a movie. Did they just flip the camera around? Did they just you know, do like I, I still, rotate? You know, I, I watch the movie now and I really look for all the cars and I, I know there's a lot of cars that they are left-hand drive. They just don't show them. You know, they don't focus on them. Oh. And, and there's enough. You could find enough and bring in a few where your foreground can be in the right place. But, you know, I, I, I just felt like I, I started to get to know the people here and I kind of fell in love with the people. And I knew there were crew people here who understood Hollywood maybe better. I mean, Malaysia's film business is growing very strongly and very fast. But the crews and the like are still uh, more Asian in a way. The, the, the filmmakers here and the people here were very well steeped in sort of a ho- ho- Even though there is their own style, there's a Hollywood sensibility to everybody here. Because they were trained originally yeah. by everybody from Hollywood. So I felt very comfortable, and I joke about it because every every the, the the other thing, and it's really a sociological thing, you know. When I I had just come from Malaysia and I had a great experience in terms of the locations, uh, you know, Malaysian food is amazing. I said, you know, you go. I was in my hotel in KL, and I went over to the table and I saw they had, you know, smoked salmon and and all around the smoked salmon, which there was plenty of. There was just bread, you know, regular old bread. And so I asked one of the waiters, I said, do you have any bagels? And everybody had to ask each other what a bagel was. You know, I mean, it's sort of like it's a, you know, it's a it's an Islamic country. So Mm -hmm. they weren't really focused on having bagels. And when I said, as soon as I got to the Philippines and I had stay up, come down my hotel and a table with smoked salmon, I could find any bagel I wanted. In fact, there's places like, you know, bagel shops and things like in New York. Mm. And everybody was waiting for this giant production thing. And I said, <laughs> and they all laughed. And I said, yes, it's intended to be a moment of levity. But actually it says said a lot for me mm-hmm. because I felt more comfortable here. And I felt like it was a different environment that I felt just personally more comfortable in and more inviting. That's that's where it all started, really. Uh, I just I, I really I really did fall in love with the country for real. The thing about Asian food or Asian buffets, right? Especially Malaysia, Indonesia, mm-hmm. Thailand. When you go to a five star hotel, you can never tell the difference between the breakfast buffet, the lunch buffet, and the <laughs> dinner buffet, I, I right? It's just you know, even yeah. the the, the cornflakes is probably the only thing that gives yeah. it away, and even the cornflakes usually have chili in them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you know, going going back to the film industry here, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, um, so many big movies shot here, 70s, 80s. Um, we know this firsthand because uh, what they consider white boys like me were always on the list of extras. They used to look for us because we had to have white people dying there in the background and stuff like that. So right. they would go to our schools and stuff. 
why the fall off? Why did they stop filming movies here? Well, I and you can be as honest as you like. I, okay, is well, it tax? What, is it no, no, it wasn't because the tax incentive was around for a long time. It it it's been out for a while, but it but it hasn't been off for that long. What what happened was was people started to get kidnapped in Mindanao. So it's the insurance. Oh yeah, it was immediately immediately the insurance companies, whether they were in Australia or Los Angeles, uh. said we will not insure you. The, the completion bonding companies, which is also a form of insurance that many movies have, they would say, "We great, you want to go shoot there, great, but we're not going to bond the film." And, and that's what did it. And Hollywood producers the people who worked at the studios would tell their production managers and producers, you're not going there. And it was like, like a switch went off. It was, it felt like it over here. And, and I was still getting started in the industry, but I was watch. I wasn't here yet. And I wasn't, but I saw it happen. I saw everybody start to move to Thailand. Yes. And, you know, yes. Um, and actually Vietnam, I think even opened up. Yeah. yeah so if you like wanted to shoot a Vietnam movie, a Vietnam now. war movie, you now have the option to shoot it in but, Vietnam. But Thailand was the first big mm -hmm. mass exodus. And, uh, and Malaysia's been more recent because the yeah. tax incentive has been relatively recent. And Vietnam has started to open up. but Because it's still harder. The permits and things are a little difficult in Vietnam. But it is opening up. But it was, it was immediately like everybody was like, we're going to Thailand. In the movie industry, you have to be insured. You can't shoot a movie, right? Yeah, Without, exactly. I guess this is a massive part of it. Yeah. And if they take away that option for you you just simply have yeah, to go somewhere else because you have a movie else. star it's a pretty good target to you know yeah. to make some money and and the idea of even if you do it then you have to have 27 more bodyguards and it becomes prohibitive just complete and and what kind of experience do you want to have and then actors are saying like you know wives and husbands of actors and partners are saying why there oh why you no i'm not gonna you're not going yeah. there right you know what changed then how did they address this and now for I, you I to come back we see things and we there's still things that happen down south here but people also then started saying okay we're just like from a film point of view we you know there's like a line drawn on the map mm -hmm. between north and south korea right yeah. they draw the line and they say as long as you're shooting from you know cebu north you're fine and so that i think that's pretty much what happened and people have started to migrate back not as much yet but, the, you know, there's been more, and, and people, you know, do it, and they come here and born. And they can be insured now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we're going to be insured, and we're going to be bonded, and, okay. you know, they know we're, our film is all Metro Manila, mostly. What do you uh, mean by bonded? I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this will already understand, but there might be no, some people who are not in the industry. There's, there's two versions of insurance on a movie. There's mm -hmm. just insurance, where you insure the actors, the key crew, director, and even just for I'm sick today. And, and you get a sick day, you get paid for, you get insurance for that, you know, or a kidnapping. So, and that's just insurance. Uh, you can't insure everything. You cannot insure acts of God, but you, it's just basic insurance. If the camera breaks down in the middle of the shoot and you lose six hours on the set, you're insured for it, you know, if that kind of thing. Then there's something called a completion bond, which is a, a super form of insurance, which is some investors, it doesn't have happen all the time but when a film is funded with certain investors banks foreign sales companies they want they want to guarantee that the film is going to be finished okay. and the completion bond guarantees that the movie will be finished no matter what if they have to fire the director you know the joke is always they uh you know you're three days into the schedule you're four days behind and they <laughs> they come out from the bonding company and they you know they take the script they take, you know, 18 pages in the middle of the script and they tear them out and then they say, oh, you're back on schedule. Right. But, you know, they they're very strict about it. If, and most of the time, most films don't get in very much trouble, if any. But every once in a while, there are stories, you know, about films getting in trouble and they charge, you know, two to three percent of your budget. And most filmmakers don't like it because most filmmakers are responsible and don't need to be bonded, but have uh, to be bonded. Yeah, yeah. And you're taking, so two to 3% of whatever your budget is, is two shooting days or three. You'd rather have three more shooting days than pay guys. You're paying and, irresponsible tax basically yeah, for other know, people. There's three people sitting yeah. in an office in LA or Sydney who are going out to lunch while you know, you're struggling on your movie. And if you never need them, you've paid for nothing. Of course, that's what most insurance is anyway. 
anyway. Yeah. So that's what it is. But if, but they you know they can take over if they need to. They can fire the director. They can do a lot of things. But you know when we're talking about movies that are two hundred million dollars, I mean you would you would do this for any company, I guess, right? I mean if you looked at it as like an investment, if you're investing yeah. in anything you'd require all these due diligence and all this. So I well, guess a movie is a company as well. Yeah, the studios don't actually bond, which is ironic. You'd think they do, but because they're the size they are, they're sort of you know self-bonding mechanisms. If somebody's making an Avengers movie and they're noticing that the director or, or the film's going over budget, they have enough of their people who can either try to figure out how to not let that happen fire the director they don't need an extra bonding company because if they have to keep they'd rather even if they don't want to add the other rest of the money they'd rather do it themselves so most of the studios the major studios don't bond it's the independent higher end independent the sundance style movies and the indies even you don't bond because you you bond a movie for a million dollars it's not worth it it's a waste of time and even the bonding companies will say we don't really you yeah don't, you don't want us yeah, yeah. and that's two percent for them yeah two percent it's not yeah. big and it's usually these middle level above three million five million ten million fifteen where there's you know no recognizable names but they're funded by international entities with foreign sales companies that end up being bonded and and it's those guys are all you know they all smoke cigars together at the american film market and everywhere they all they're all the 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 insurance people the bonding people the foreign sales companies it's sort of a you know a cabal of of business of backroom business that's that's part of the film business that most filmmakers would prefer to do without you know when you first started um one of the first things you said when in the podcast is about you identified well, we have the potential, but we just didn't quite know how to sell our own story yeah. or to make it. What were we missing? I mean, aside from the language barrier, because we have successful films out there that you know right. have that same language barrier, but a bunch of subtitles cures that. What else were we missing? What was the secret sauce, magic ingredient? Well, I think I actually part of the reason why we're interested in starting a film school is it's it is a combination of things. One, screenplays. That it doesn't mean, believe me, it doesn't mean every screenplay out of Hollywood is perfect because they're not. In fact, they've gotten a lot worse. But there's a, a relative level of quality, whether it's the independent films or whether it's the television stuff that's showing up now, which is much better than most movies. There's a quality of writing. There's a structural way of writing. And there's a way of, of paying off characters and all of that that, that, that uh, you, you don't see enough of it here in a strong, strong way that tends to drift toward soap opera when, 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 when all else fails, drift toward soap opera instead of reality. There's a level of reality, even in an Avengers movie, there's a level of reality of blood and you know, sweat and people you know, looking at each other in a way that you don't see here. You see a softening. You see a, uh, you know, oh, honey, if only, and somebody's down the street, they want to, there's all too much of that you know, and, and in the States, you see that in soap opera, you see that in Hallmark movies, you see that in Lifetime. And that doesn't mean there's not an audience for it. But in order to develop a global audience for your product, you have to make better quality films that involve heightened dialogue and screenplay writing, better attention to visual style of directing, and producing, which is an intangible for most people, which is probably the most lacking here. Strong producers, strong production managers, people that know how to manage a film, people that know how to budget a film in detail, not a budget that's two pages long, which I see and you know I won't do and I won't let anybody do, and, and do this in a professional way because when you make better product, when that product elevates, when the actors aren't uh, sleeping in their cars after a 16-hour day, when an actor who's brought on set at 8 in the morning but doesn't work till 5 in the afternoon is tired and doesn't give his or her best performance, when all those things get better, the product gets better, Netflix then looks at the movie and goes, oh, we're going to pay you X for it instead of Y more money mm -hmm. and that means you get more money that means next time you can make a bigger production and you can pay people a little better and you can perpetuate better working conditions and all of those things start to grow and the industry matures that's how an industry matures it's easy you can't just say 
God, I know these budgets are smaller here than in the States. Why, why can't they just be more? Because it, it, it has, there has to be a reason that they're more. And the reason they're more is because the movies travel, the movies sell, and predominantly in English, you know, so that they sell overseas. So there's interesting Philippine stories, but movies that can play all over the world without worrying about subtitles and, you know, the market. I mean, the, I talk to everybody about it who's, who's in, you know, positions of power. Clearly, when they go to sell their movies, the sales companies all around the world or Netflix or any HBO, they, you know, they get a movie in Tagalog. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but you're going to get one number. They get a movie in English, you're going to get another number, which is higher. So part, it's all a combination. You know, better realistic acting, stronger screenplays, tighter directing, more of a focus on, on getting a screenplay into really great shape, and then producing qu more quality material that looks bigger, that looks like, because, you know, I, I, I'm like, my God, my, I can make a movie for $3 million here where I'd probably spend $8 million in the U.S., so I can stretch the production value, and I'm going to make my movies look bigger than they, than they ever would anywhere else. They're going to look like studio movies. And, and more people here should have the same attitude. So in a way, it's kind of like ISO 9000-ing the industry. You're like saying, okay, wait, this, if you want to level up, these are the things we need to do, and I'll show you the entire umbrella of it, and that's the only way we're going to get to the next level. Right. So at the moment, you see a little bit of a... Well, it's just heavily leaning on the artistic uh, side, or yeah. And I've dealt, I've I've talked to people in, in positions of power who sell movies who talk about, well, we want to make these, you know, <laughs> Suntance movies, and we want our our mar we want to go to Fox Searchlight and all the the known you know um, art house distributors, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, roadside attractions, and you know, a twenty four. They're all good. But that's where they aim. And I'm, I keep saying to everybody here, what's the point? Not that, you know, they're good movies that they distribute, of course, but it, it's limited. It's always limited. But they don't realize that here. They, the, the people, even people in power don't realize. I've tried to talk to people about, you realize that if your model was to take this really high quality movie and sell it to Netflix. Oh no 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 no. We we no no. We don't want to. We want a theatrical release. It's like, do you realize that all of us in the states don't even think about a theatrical release anymore? I don't think about it. I've stopped thinking about it. I think about Netflix and Amazon and Apple. That's what I think about for my movies because I make movies that that studios don't make anymore. Mm. And the fight to get a movie, an indie movie that's three or four or five million or is not just an art house strictly is almost impossible. So if it's hard for me as a U.S. filmmaker, don't you think it's going to be ten times harder for you coming in? I mean, why would you want to just aim for something that's going to give you eight theaters? And because that's they're working off of a night. It feels like they're working off of a 1987 model. Seriously, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, a 1993 model, it's, it doesn't exist anymore, and they're flogging something that doesn't exist. And I, I talk to people all the time about it. I'm really adamant about it, you know, because the places that are looking for this product aren't those places anymore. They don't care. Studios don't care. They don't care about my stuff, let alone some little movie coming out of the Philippines. Why should they care? And add to it, it's in Tagalog, for God's sakes. They'll care even less. But but Netflix and stuff are opening up. Absolutely, they're buying hundreds of movies. Brazil, India, here even now they're starting to. You know, all over the and, world. And the streaming platforms are competing like mad. Yeah, and there's ones popping up here. Yeah. So they all want product. Just go with it. Understand that's the new world that we're all in. We're all in that. All of us. And this is partly why you've um, you're doing a series of talks here, right? You're doing a series of workshops, should yeah. I say? Um, is this going to be an ongoing thing? Is this a temporary? No, the workshops were designed seasonal? to be a lead-in to ultimately a full-time school, a full-time um, certificate program leading ho hopefully someday to a bachelor's program film school. All and here? All here, just here. There, do we have one in Cebu? Is that, did I? Yeah, they, I mean, people talk, I mean, I think they're also on the bubble a little bit. I, I just passed it once going through Maktana yeah. and, and somebody pointed it out. Is yeah. that? Is I mean, I, I think they're all well-intentioned. I just don't mm -hmm. know how well they've done or they're doing these days. But I think ours will hit a different level because I, I'm able to bring in 
another level of Hollywood people and people from Australia. Already in my seminars, I brought, uh, you know I skyped in and brought somebody in from Australia who's a high-end director, and you know I, I think we'll be able to do more and also develop it. And we have you know TV Five's been our partner, Signal has been our partner, and mm -hmm. it's been amazing working with them because they've been really helpful with the studio, and and they also you know, have room for us to actually create the school without having to build a place. So if people want to um, join this, this seminars or these uh, workshops that you're doing, um, how are they, they still available and there's, when can they sign up? There's one more workshop and there's, there's a bunch of websites that are all out there that Signal had been advertising this as well. I mm -hmm. saw my face on a billboard on Edsa the other day and there's, so there's all kinds of stuff. There's, there's two or three websites I mean, I, you know, that information is readily available. There's one more this Saturday. We'll probably, I'm going to come back in late uh, November, early December and do another. But ultimately, we wanted to do this now to create an awareness for something bigger that we're going to be building. Would you consider also, considering there's a big explosion in the space of um, short films, but I'm not necessarily, I'm talking online short films from just regular Joes. Mm -hmm let's say, take it a step above vlogging. Right. Would you offer anything like that? Because that seems to be a growing space. To, to give people... A structure to be able to say, okay, well, I want to take my vlogging to the next level, but, you know... Yeah, actually, I think there's, you know, a, a media portion of what we're doing that isn't just a bunch of guys who want to just make movies the mm -hmm. old-fashioned way and to develop content and develop filmmakers. Okay. Because it's a great way. I mean, you're young and you do, you know, you can make mistakes that way. You can make something that, that are five minutes long, 10 minutes long. You put it out. Everybody, you know, everybody in China, like Tencent, they're filled with short content, you know, because everybody just looks on exactly. the Exactly. So, and, and, and Jeffrey Katzenberg in the States, who is Spielberg's partner, just raised millions of dollars to start a company that is only short form. And when so, you say short form, is it... Um is that safe to say it's kind of like a vlog or is that? I guess, you know, it's visual, you know, but mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a visual version of doing, you know, shorts in that sense. And I guess blog like, but they're experimenting with nonfiction, with fiction, all kinds of stuff. And we'll do the same thing. And it's a great way to develop talent. They, it's, it's an easy place to fail and not get hurt too badly and to develop young people to their style how they write, how they direct, all of those things. Okay. Have you have you seen like content creators like um, uh, I guess Casey Neistat's a big one, Nas Daily. Have you seen their work? You... Yeah, a little bit. I I haven't been able to focus on it that much mm -hmm. because I'm just like anybody busy. But I'm starting to be more aware of that kind of thing, and I, I think it's great. Ultimately, you know, I mean, not you know. Just because everybody has the opportunity to do it now in a more democratic way doesn't mean everybody's going to be good. Right? No, of course not. You know, I mean, it's the same way when they, when they, I don't know, get, when the typewriters came out, not everyone could be a writer. Right. You know, and music's the same way. You know, there's more yeah, ability. It doesn't mean everybody can sing and play the guitar. But, I, but, it, but look, why not? Why not have people who want to take a shot and want to, you know, get out there? I, I don't see anything wrong with it. And you'd be able to give them some tools that would, would take them through to the next level just yeah. in case they might end up like that. They might just start out on YouTube yeah. and end up on Netflix. Yeah, because, and, and, then there, and there are producers and companies in L.A. that are, that are using YouTube you know, artists as an incubator mm -hmm. for something bigger. And there's some things that have popped out and gotten developed at larger places, networks and the like. So there is that. It's like an incubator. That's what people think of it as. Um. You've been to India. Have you seen the Bollywood scene? No, I have not. I'm doing I'm actually doing a movie in India, and I've been developing it for a few years. And I have an uh, Indian partner, but I have not actually been there yet. But I, I'm aware of the scene. Because I, I only bring that up because, I mean, they've got that. They say it's the second biggest or the biggest now? <laughs> it might, be might even biggest. be the biggest, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bigger than Hollywood. Um, just in their domestic market alone. Um, perhaps we could use somewhat of that model you think it would be a fair comparison for the philippines yeah to follow that model? I, I you know other than the dancing and the yeah other than the stylistic <laughs> difference which you know is is there a thing um there is no reason you know is it a, is it a, you know it's a smaller country but that doesn't necessarily mean anything it's a big population here it's right? a, it is huge and we yeah. all love movies yeah 
movies, music. So you have all that there. So yeah, I mean, actually, I think that's a that's a great con- you know consideration. If we have any young filmmakers out there, even vloggers, content creators, people aspiring, and they're like, hmm, I'd like to, uh, to to learn more about this. Could you give them some free nuggets of advice, like something they could get out of your, your courses? <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest thing is, I think, is they'll get a level, I believe, they'll get a level of criticism that they don't normally get. And criticism doesn't necessarily mean negative. It can be nurturing, and it doesn't mean, you know, we stand around or I'd stand around telling people, you know, like you're in the Marines, like you're worthless, you know? <laughs> it's not that. It's hazing. It's, it, you know, people here don't, a lot of Filipinos I notice don't necessarily enjoy confrontation very much. And they, unless they're online. <laughs> online, we love it. Right. Yes, and and also, that's the other thing about this country. You know the weird statistics, how Filipinos are the, I think in the world, bigger than, more than Americans. The large, the biggest in terms of use of social media. I mean, it's insane. You think about it, it's like, oh my God. I mean, you know, I have to, you know, I'm around people a lot who are, you know, at dinner parties who are constantly like doing something else. Although that, of course that happens in the States too. Sorry, what were you saying? I was just checking my messages. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I was talking to somebody more important, clearly. Uh, that's, yeah. you, that's what, you know, you can't help but feel that way. Where do you think it's going? Where do you think the, um, the space is going? Because you mentioned about the theatrical releases and that becoming so l- not just less important, but right. practically almost redundant in a way. Um, where do you see it going? All streaming, all Netflix? Do you see the YouTube market bursting to a different direction? Or? Well, I, I do think it's the streaming model which allows people to watch essentially what they want when they want to watch it uh, is is going to proliferate. And people's, everybody's, everybody, you know, television is bigger, right? And everybody starts, you know, growing the size of their television and their speakers, everybody can watch at home. People watch on their computers. People watch on their phones. Shorter content, I think, is better, but people still watch long form on their content. And I, I do think that. I think, you know, I don't know. It's so funny. About 10 years ago, maybe even a little longer, people, you know, I do a lot of um, other seminars, but I do a lot of panels. And I remember it just, you know, I started to feel this whole thing, especially also like Broadway, because Broadway has become a big event arena. It used to be, you know, when I was in college, I went to NYU and I could, you know, you'd see these amazing plays of two-handers, you know, on Broadway and dramas. And those days are long gone. You know, it's all big event, you know, because if you're coming in and you're going to spend a ridiculous amount of money, you want to see extravaganza. And because, you know, ticket prices have gone up in most places and theaters are nicer and places with the seats and you have a mm-hmm. glass of wine, which is nice. And uh, I even take my kids to it. They, you know, cause they like the seats, they move and everything. It's great. But it's for an adult, it's like in the States for those are like $14 a ticket. So a- almost anybody starts to get the feeling like if I'm going to sit in this theater for $14 and, and have a date or my wife or partner or kids, I, I want to, come out of here knocked out which is what started happening on broadway like i don't want to spend four hundred dollars and just see two people talk to each other i want to see lions and kings and Mm -hmm. you know right cats and so hollywood just bought into it and the marvel universe swept the world away and it's been that way for a while and it's even stronger now and that's that's so you go to the movie theater, you want to see something gigantic. So I I started talking about this and I don't know whether I was channeling it or, you know, I, I can't say that I'm a genius because I'm a genius. I'd be further along. But I people would start to ask me at, at you know, speaking engagements, what do you, where's the future? And I started saying like 15 years ago. I didn't use the word streaming. We, we weren't using it. But but like VOD or something, yeah. video on demand. I said it's going to get away from this whole theatrical thing. That's going to be a specialized market. You're going to spend a lot of money to go to the movie theater to see a big event movie. But you, everything else, you're going to see somewhere else, somehow. Video on demand, you know, uh, K, whatever, you know. And it it just popped into my head. And I realized now, of course, well, I wasn't the only one thinking it, but I was absolutely dead on right. 
and that's where it's going. It's absolutely going in that direction. I, you, you, there are no economics to make a good, solid little movie and put it out in the movie theater. There are none. There's just none, which is why I try to tell the people here I work with to stop thinking about you know, your movie in 12 theaters in the United States. It's ridiculous. You're going to make so much. You're going to lose money, not make money. And, you know, they, they're all afraid. They think, oh, no, I don't want to. Uh, Netflix is no, no. It's like, why are you saying no? So but that's where I think that I do think the industry is continuing in that direction. There's no question that everybody is going to be self-contained. Most people and, you know, even people who can afford nicer TVs are getting beyond 52 inch. 52 inch is small. I have young kids. I don't I barely go to the theater. I get screeners in November because I vote for the Academy. So between, you know, going only to animated films and taking my kids and seeing you know, the, the, all the movies from November 20th through January to vote for the Academy Awards, I don't really go very much. And I love going, but I don't go very much. And But that's everybody's kind of like that. You know, the movie-going audience probably here is the same in the States. Maybe it's not the same here, but it's, you know, 18 to 30 is the strongest, you know, 17 to 30 is the biggest movie-going audience. And they're all going to the Marvel movies. The places like Netflix and Apple and Amazon that are buying product, you want them to know that when a Philippine producer calls them or wants to send them something, they're excited instead of, oh, yeah, I know, I know the kind of product they're going to send me. And it's, you know, you, don't, you want them to go, I cannot wait to see the next thing. Because, the, you know, the Thai filmmakers exploded a few years ago. There was a whole sense of like Thai movies, right? These kind of action street kind of things. And they're commercials. Their commercials make me cry. Right. Korean filmmakers. <laughs> Korean. Yes. Korean filmmakers. Train to Busan are, and all that. Very close to Hollywood filmmakers in yeah. terms of great films, great quality, three act structure, great screenplays. What was that? You said three acts? Three act structure. What is that? Screenplay mean? structure, which okay. is built on three acts of mm -hmm. writing. You know, a setup a conflict and resolution. Uh, uh, the first, you know, a 95-page script, first 30 pages is you learn and mm -hmm. get to set up and what the story is. The middle, you know, gives you all the intrigue and conflict of whatever the movie is in the last act, the last 30 pages, in essence, is the resolution to the story. Have you ever read the book, uh, I think by Donald Miller, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm not confusing it, called Building a Story Brand? No. Where he uses basically the uh, formula of Hollywood mm -hmm. to basically help sell your business. Because he, and the reason I wanted to ask you is if, if, if there is still that formula, if that formula still exists and can't be tampered with, where you have to follow that structure. Hero, character build a hero, um, show people what the hero needs to overcome or the challenge. Yes. What happens right. if he doesn't, he or she doesn't overcome it? Uh, what are the potential consequences of that? Uh, goes through, fails, meets his um, guide, mentor comes in, Obi-Wan or Yoda, whoever that might be in that thing, shifts him into the right direction, goes out, kills the bad guys, takes the girl. Can you make a successful movie without that formula? Because he doesn't seem to think so. No, I, I think almost, you know, even indie movies that aren't, you know, fantastical or, you know, hero journeys, you know, the, the Joseph Campbell model aren't, are still sort of, if you look at almost everything, they operate on that model. It's drama. It goes back to the Greeks. It goes back to, you know, Aristotle's The Poetics. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that people should read. You know, I, I, that's what I learned in film school. I read, you know, The Poetics. I learned about that kind of structure. Back, to, I read Greek drama. You know, I mean, those are the kinds of things that tell you, you know, how this works. Joseph Campbell, that's all, you know, George... Lucas talked about when he wrote Star Wars, you know, Hero's Journey from the Joseph, from the works of Joseph Campbell, which you're talking, you're touching on a little bit. Well, it's because uh, I'm I'm out of the industry. That's why it, it it fascinates me because when when they put that together, I thought, okay, it makes sense because the way he described it in the book was like our brains are wired as humans to re um, receive stories because we automatically can sort of formulate what's going to come next. You're filling in the blanks, but our brains are sort of patterned. They follow patterns. So it's like, okay, I know I can expect this, expect this. If you take deviate from that formula, mm -hmm. you're making us think too hard and we just shut down. Right. Burning that's, too many calories. No, that's a good point. So is there a way that you can, 
or do you have to stick to that like a Bible? It's like, don't mess with well, that formula. I, you know, look, there's variations, but it's storytelling. And what is what are the classic stories? What what do we all respond to, even when we're young children? You know, when somebody comes into our room at night and tells us a story, mm-hmm. what do we respond to? What do we think about it? It really, that's what it is. And it's biblical. It's you know, drama, great Greek drama, Shakespearean, all of those things, you look at all of that and they're following essentially the same formula. Does Quentin Tarantino follow that or is that, does he just, is he an anomaly in that kind of thing? Well, I think to, to some degree, you know, there's, you know, a skeleton. He only goes backwards, right? Yeah, there's a skeleton structure. He likes to try to sort of take genres and deconstruct them a little yeah. bit and change them and, you know, and it doesn't always work. I mean, I, I you know, regardless, you know, some things work and some things don't. And, you know, but but he at least, you know, I think he he's aware of it. You see, the good thing is the great filmmakers, even if they throw it away, they're aware of it. They don't not know it. They know it and it's in them. They learn the rules before they break. them. Yeah, exactly. Basically. So, you know, I, I have, you know, various opinions about his work, but that's not really important. What's important is I think he. He takes it seriously when he, you know, he doesn't just wake up and start writing a screenplay, you know, <laughs> and there's structure and there's all kinds of stuff. You know, it's his own style and you can either like it or not. But, you know, I think most everybody does. I I certainly find it provocative. Um, I wouldn't know if, you know, there's like you said, there are some big hits and big misses, too. But well, you know, that's but good. Fil- interesting filmmakers take those chances, too. And, you know, luckily people still want to fund their movies and, uh, you know, and actors want to be in them. But that's what makes them interesting. And that's why actors and other people like to work with them. You know, even Steven Soderbergh has misses, but his misses are more interesting than most people's successes. <laughs> and, and, and he'd probably, not probably, be the first to admit it because he's going to try something and push something. And, and, you know, thank God now and then somebody lets him. And we still need that. We all need that, you know, and we get to do that more, you know, than you do here. You get, there's a little bit more directorial experimentation, you know, than there ever would be here. And, but it'd be nice to see people, I've started to see movies here that are not designed for this market, that are clearly designed for an international market, that are edgy, indie, you know, ascendant style movies, that it's clear that they're not going to get picked up or distributed here and that people are going to festivals and trying to sell their films to Netflix or the U.S. market, you know, because because of what the style is and what the look is. Because filmmaking, you know, that's the other thing. Everybody's now watching each other's movies more than they ever have. We used to go to, you know, a movie theater, you know, to see a French film in the States, but nobody does that anymore. <laughs> but you can see them. You can see them like that. Yeah, on demand. You know, and we all are. People here are watching everybody's movies, and we're able to, you know, turn on Netflix and watch. I want to. I do want to see, what are they doing in Brazil right now, right? And there's a group of films you could watch or something, you know, so we're all learning about each other, which I think is extraordinary. And then, But in some ways, like, when we talk about democratizing the space, although Netflix, there still is a barrier. You know, it's not exactly YouTube, right? But, but it's also created a bit of another problem about, I don't know, the Babel effect. I mean, the we just don't know where to, there's just so much noise around. I mean, how do you get your movie to shine and break through that noise? Because there's more noise than ever. Well, I think it still gets down to there are, you know, various gatekeepers mm-hmm. for mass distribution. And yes, you know, you can just put your thing on YouTube, but that, you know, you could be the worst filmmaker in the world and put your thing on YouTube, yeah. right? And there are a lot of worst filmmakers yes, in the world putting on YouTube. So, you know, I always, if, you know, everybody has the right to dream, but not everybody has the right dream. You know, there are people uh-huh. that just, it's like, oh, you know what, stick to your day job. Because <laughs> the other thing is, the truth is, this is, it's still a specialized thing to be able to do this. If everybody could do it, what would be, be the special. point? And it wouldn't I, be special. I, I don't like. I don't walk into a, you know, a surgeon's operating room and say, you know, I 
watch the video and here hand me the scalpel I, I know exactly where to cut the side of the brain and i mean you know right so why does everybody think they can make a movie somehow everybody has two businesses their own and the movie business i don't know why everybody thinks they're a producer everybody it's thinks glamorous they can, scott that's why well yes but it, when you start doing it you realize it isn't yeah, it's, but if you just talk about doing it, it's glamorous. I know. I know. <laughs> you don't it's actually usually, have to do it. You just talk about it. alleyways and towns in New Jersey where I live at 4 o'clock in the morning where it's cold and the coffee's cold. And that's really what it comes down to most of the time. And people don't realize that. Mm. Or here. You're shooting at 2 o'clock in the morning in a... You know, in Chinatown in, in Manila. And, you know, the craft service is run out of water and coffee and people are tired and but that's what filmmakers are filmmakers do that and they actually love that too part of that whole challenge of like you know and they band together you know they create families too which makes it a really interesting business that way when you um what movies here have you seen that you think okay that's that's good or that's as that's close i i honestly i I don't know that I have, except the reason I decided to work with Pedring Lopez on my movie Escape was I saw Maria, and you know, I, it's it's sort of a um, you know a John Wick style, uh, La Femme Nikita style movie about a woman exacting revenge on the killers of her husband and and daughter, and um, it's perfect for the zeitgeist now. A female hero who beats up and kills a bunch of men, gets revenge, et cetera. It's, it's actually, and I don't mean to be facetious, it's great timing. Movies about women, women leads, um, big thing in Hollywood. So it, it, it caught a moment. And what I also saw in it was I felt like I've been looking here. I've been looking here for there, one of the because I, 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 my movie Escape, I, we talked about an American director, an Australian director, easy enough, to, easy enough to do. But I kept thinking over the la last couple of years, where's you know, the whole movie shot here? Where is the Philippine director that will break out and make an international film from here? Not an art house film, not like General Luna and things that have done a little art house business worldwide and made festivals. And but I mean a commercial movie. And I saw Maria and I thought, I think this guy knows what he's doing. And I think this guy can can also make films in Hollywood. So, you know, in one way or the other, we found each other and I got him the script and he liked it and we're doing the movie together and I do feel like he understands. So it takes one or two people who just understand and step up. And then others will step up and others will learn and others will see. And it's really, that's how an industry grows and builds. And, and it's just, it's, it's not fast, but it doesn't have to be the slowest thing in the world either. Mm. We've talked a lot about what we're missing out on or what we, what we lack and what we can improve on. What are some of the things that we are better at than other countries? Um, well, I think, you know, in terms of stories, you know, I do like the sense of, you know, the, the, there's a, there is some empathy and, and the love stuff, love stories and things. You know, there's a sense of people being, what's the word, you know, um, you know. Sentimentally. Um, falling in love. They, they want to fall in love. Romantic. Yeah, and romance. Romantics, and, and, yeah. I, and I actually, outside of the fact that, you know, every movie's like that, the, I like the fact that people have that kind of heart because that means something regardless of the fact that at some point you go okay i've seen 25 of these things you know i gotta see something else it's it's a sense of the people it, it for me it comes back to the people who i think are are extraordinary i really do i mean i i legitimately feel that or i wouldn't be spending this much time here with them <laughs> and doing this because you could i could just make films in the u.s and be fine you know but there's i i feel like uh, there's just a quality to it. And, you know, I went through it when I learned, you know, about how the connection, you know, old, in, in the story I did about the, the, when Kazan brought Jewish people from Germany over after Kristallnacht and the connection between, you know, Israel and Philippines. And when the, 
you know, hurricane and the floods and everything, the first uh, medical crews in this country from out of the country were from Israel. And I thought they, they, people connect in, in a certain way that I just, I, I love. I love the fact that people talk to you, people are friendly. You know, I, I for me, that's what I enjoy. And I enjoy that sense of camaraderie with people, which I, I, I do feel. Awesome. How do people get, um, I mean, like, how long are you here for again? I know you, you answered that in the beginning, but what what sort of programs are, are left and when are you going to go back to the U.S. and come back here? What's your schedule like? Well, we're doing one more of our seminars, workshops this Saturday mm -hmm. at TV5, Studio 4, and it's a 9 to 5, basically. And, uh, and on Tuesday, I go home. I have you know, some catch-up stuff to do back in the States and some work, and I'm doing two or three projects there as well and uh, some family stuff I have to attend to. But I'll probably be back here right after U.S. Thanksgiving, which is at the end of November, mm -hmm. and be here for part of December. We're continuing pre-production on this movie that we're working on. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go home over the holiday and then maybe come back here in January and be here for maybe as long as three months making the movie and doing some of the other things that I'm doing. So there's still an opportunity now for people to join on Saturday? Yes. What's the cost of that? Well, we've, <laughs> we've varied the cost. We have an A cost, a B cost, a student cost. So I think it's best really uh, to look on the website because okay. we, we've made allowances for people who can't afford you know, our initial price, which was $200 for each seminar. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that that was not everybody's cup of tea and which is fine because we've also been able to create this model for not only having a studio audience which is nice but but we're shooting them you know tv5 has been gracious giving us high-end equipment to shoot them and edit them so that we can build a library of these things that people can buy afterwards and then probably what we'll do next is stream them simultaneously so it isn't so much even about the studio audience as it is about you know, anybody all over the world can stream it and watch it. So it's like a masterclass yeah, type of thing that, like you, that you can avail of. Well, Scott, it's been a pleasure. And we thank Amen. you for sharing this knowledge.